Hello there, and welcome to a Dungeons and Dragons role-playing podcast. My name is Stacy, and I'm the GM. Come with me and my good friend Mick. Join us in our weekly discussion about our campaign. Listen to our successes and failures while trying to flex our role-playing muscle. The funny bits, the dumb bits, and the all-around good time that comes with this great activity. The cast is... Oraki, the Kudu tribe Knoll from Dabu, who tends to see things others cannot. Kalen, the human paladin with an ass for a brother. Akmenas, the tiefling paladin with a tale of loss. Silhouette, a pixie that is definitely not Tinkerbell. Odvik, the human fighter that ponders about planned weddings. Calidus, the elf-marked wizard that was too tiny to be a barbarian. And finally Elbrum, the Asmar warlock with a shady past. The campaign setting is the Southlands from Cobalt Press. We are using the D&D 5e rule set and we game using the Fantasy Grounds virtual tabletop. So that's the cast, that's the campaign. Now good people, welcome to the show. In this episode, minor percussion waves permeate the area. Calidus, Elbrum and Kalen look down on the pool of blood from the top of a ridge. What are the Tuscully doing? The percussion waves build, pebbles slide, the Grey Company is spotted, battle is joined. Then, of a sudden, a percussion blast tosses all assailants like leaves on the wind. Friend and foe slowly regain their footing. Words in native tongues pour out as everyone is overwhelmed to loudly proclaim their first experience with magic. The two groups look at each other. Who has caused this? The large Tuscully flies into the air, shouting orders and firing his massive bow. Akmenis shouts, They don't speak common. I can't command them. The Grey Company decimates the drones, but struggles to close with the flyer peppering them with arrows from distance. Elbrum blinks out of existence. Calidus's sleep spell has a profound effect. Does anyone notice that the dying Tuscully says, Wake! in common? Sill points out that Calidus glows indigo. Odvik starts to undress, preparing to swim in the pool of blood. Time to breathe. Time to investigate. Or, perhaps... Let's turn that shiny dial on the lone pedestal and release the blood elemental guardian. Do you want to know more? Then sit back, stay tuned, and enjoy. Hello, people of the interwebs. I'm back with my friend Mick to talk about what happened in our last session, which was a couple days ago. And we started up with... I did a bit of character development in in discord or backstory development with with everybody minus yourself about certain things that insights that they might have had as they were hiking to get to this pool of blood and them it's the desert it's bloody cold at night and it's freaking hot during the day so 
you guys weren't geared up as much as you should have been. So water skins were running dry. Thank God the shepherd boy was there to make sure that you guys were, he knew where the water sources were. So of course, you guys would have the water to get there. Your rations were all running dry. So it led to a lot of inner thinking is what I what I, was where I was going with. And that's why on, on Discord and in, in, in some private messages to each of the players, I tried to paint up some of their thoughts that they might have had. And so we started out where we left off with you and Elbrum and Kaelin having uh, climbed up the rise. And you guys had did some really, really bad stealth checks, which turned to be some rock, causing a little bit of some minor rock slides. You got to the top of the rise, and those rock slides have alerted the Tuscali who were on the other side. But I, I don't know, did you... I tried to paint some a picture there about what I had, what I was hoping to see if you guys would catch on to, at least with the rock slide. Did you see? Did did, did anything come across? Nope. He says, <laughs> well, looking what I, completely stunned. Well, there was something supposed to happen about the rock slide. We were the, incompetent. We fell down the hill. No, no. Oh God, you were yeah, you were a little bit late connecting. You were having some issues, but did you caught on when the the percussion explosion happened, right? No. Oh, you missed that too. It was a percussion explosion. Okay, so yeah, you wouldn't have caught this then. So what had happened? What I tried to do was imply that the rock slide wasn't actually you guys being stupid with your stealth, as you guys were cl- coming up to the ridge. And I tried to, I did have everybody do a perception check because I wanted to see if anybody noticed percussion waves happening. Nobody did. Everybody rolled really bad, extraordinarily bad. So you guys got to the top of the ridge. You're looking down at the Tuscully, and then there's another rumble. And, mm-hmm. and, the, and again, the, the, the idea here was that, oh, okay, cripes, maybe it wasn't just me being bad at stealthy, but the uh, next rumble caused some more of the rocks to shift at which point all of you guys were standing there and then there was this percussive blast and everybody fell. The only person that didn't fall was the, the one Tuscali that was flying. Everybody else was pushed back, including the Tuscali on the ground was pushed back. What were the Tuscali on the ground doing? You guys, ha- I'm not, I'm not, you guys haven't figured that out. You guys haven't. No, no, what, were they, what did we see them doing? What, what, if I'd been there, what would I have seen them doing? The three ones that didn't fly were standing by the stone pillars. And they were looking up at the top of the hill because the one that was flying had basically said, alerted them or something. So they were all looking up at the top of the hill where you guys were were, just cresting. Yeah, okay. So we didn't see what they were doing. You didn't see what they were doing. All you seen was that there was three of them standing by one of each of those stone pillars. Right. And the other third one was... In the, uh, well, it, it 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 was flying above the that circular ruin that you went to investigate and and did a really bad job investigating. Okay. So then this percussive wave blasted out and it was loud and it pushed all of you guys, including the Tuscali underground, pushed everybody twenty feet back. After it blasted, two people went deaf from the blast. It was so loud. One was Ekmenus who picked himself up and tried to fly because he didn't want to get mm-hmm. shaken and fallen again. And the other Tuscali who was flying <laughs> were the only two who got deafened by the blast. Right. As soon as the blast finished, everybody had an overwhelming urge 
to talk about their first experience with magic. And I think that's that's where you probably came in was at that point. Yeah, I came in where people were talking about their first experience with magic and I thought, what on earth is going on here? Yeah. And so, then I got asked the question. Right. And <laughs> your answer was, well, let me see. I wrote down some of these things. So Elbrum, well, this was interesting too because it, it, it was to put each of you guys on the spot and to try to think of something that maybe is tied to your character's backstory. So Akmenis, he explained the very first time was when he saw his sister being ripped apart in the jungle, by the jungle. And I'm not going to explain more on that one. And then Elbrum, his first experience was the day that he met this gnome on a trail. And this was... Now, I understand where he's coming from when he said that because it it is related to his backstory. And realistically... His first experience with magic was the way he's explaining it. I guess this is one of those things where how immersed you are in your own story and in the story I'm telling, because his first experience with magic was when he met this fellow on the trail. Now, this is where I think maybe I lost it or maybe Elbrum has forgotten, but in the Southlands that we're playing, it's wide-low magic. So basically, magic is used to flush the toilet. Mm. When he says that his first experience with magic was with meeting the gnome on the trail, um, I think this was the bit of being putting everybody on the spot to come up with some kind of a response that, that was, I don't know, if I, it's not that I was looking for something meaningful. I guess it, I, I was, when I asked the question, I was trying to see if you guys could put something into your backstory on the spot that then could be later be used. So Elbrum's really tied into his backstory, but only from the point of view of six and a half months ago. Odvik, his was, he came up with a hedge wizard families that they hired. And this is funny because when he said this, with a hedge wizard's magic that scared and inspired him, it reminded me of a book that I read by, oh, the Patrick Rothfuss books. Mm-hmm. One of the main characters in Patrick Rothfuss's books is this, this young man who was part of a traveling, what do you call that? A traveling circus? No, I haven't read it. Well, what do you call those people who travel around and they will do, I mean, it's kind of like a circus show. Medicine man show? But not, mostly, I guess, more but about human entertainment, less about having, oh, I think there was actually, I don't know, so it would be a circus. It would be. I guess it would have been a traveling circus. And there used to be, I guess you would call them hedge wizards that, that would join up with these. What, what's, there's a word for it. not menagerie when the group of uh, the circus that travels, there's a name for that. Anyway, so a hedge wizard was traveling with that. So maybe I wonder if that he read that book and he was using that as a point. Anyway, so that was his first experience. Kalen talked about being 17 years old on the front line. He came up with a pretty good one for on the front. Trebuchet is flying, launching fireballs and a wizard creating a shield spell, and so his first experience was on the battle line. And then, of course, Calidus lived in a household of magic. Magic was always there. And I was like, in fact, it's not huge in terms of some elaborate thing, but, I mean, it makes sense, because I, I was sitting there thinking, wide low magic, of course. And especially if you're in a house of wizards, it, just, it would just be around you all the time. And would you even really recognize it as something extraordinary? It's just, no. Right from childbirth, it's just a part of your life. There's an interesting thing that comes to mind here, and that is that do I care about my backstory? 
because while you see caring about your backstory as being immersed in the game, I see my backstory as the same as I see my life. That's the history. That's the past. And I, I don't. You don't tie it specifically with. I don't tie it in... with anything. I don't tend to remember lots of it. It's not important. So the whole backstory of where you came from and what you did isn't that important. So to me, the backstory was, when it was written, was just some interesting little thing. I guess I've always thought that that backstory was, so living in the now, the past and your desires for the future help define who you are now. They help define and influence the decisions that you make. So I guess for me, the more you explain about your backstories is not about you as a character living in the past. It's that you, okay, I'm invested in this world. And so when I'm thinking of my backstory, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a fallacy on my side. Does backstory mean you're more immersed? I don't need to have a backstory to be invested in the world. I guess that's, that's something to think about then, actually. Anyways, the point was the wave that knocked everybody about caused well I, that's probably giving me giving away because you guys haven't actually figured this out but yeah you guys were all forced to talk about your first experience with magic and after that happened and you guys righted yourselves the flying to scully just started shouting and i hope that i brought that across i tried to make it so that the, the shouting of the Tuscully seemed i guess perhaps odd now, of course, it's it's shouting in the Tuscali language, so none of you guys under... Came across as being the summoning of troops. Yeah. It's typically because we've had that experience before. Yeah. So in the last time, or the first time we went to Tuscali, there was one leader that was yelling instructions, and this was the same. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Akmenis was just like, they, speak, they don't speak common. My strategy is thrown out the window I wanted to use. And so, of course, that was... It's meta, but not meta. It's meta from the point of view of him saying this as the player, Akmenis, but it's not meta in the sense of, in character, being it like... It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Oh, my strategy in fights is always, I have this spell that allows me to command people, and they don't speak common. Anyway, the, the Scully who is flying, this percussive blast happens. Everybody starts telling, including the Tuscully, I had some perception checks going on. Again, everybody was rolling really, really bad. Tuscali blew up in the air. It was like 300 feet away from you guys or something. And it just started peppering you guys with arrows. And I just loved... I mean, I think that if things hadn't turned the way they did turn, which was extremely fortunate for you guys, and there's so much I want to give away here, but I can't. I got to suck it back. But you guys were just screwed. From a distance, he was... It wasn't that he was particularly high. It was that he was particularly far, and he was hitting you guys. And he, when he was hitting, it was 3d8 damage every time he hit you with an arrow, and he was able to fire a couple of arrows each time. And I just, I had a good time laughing. The only person who seemed to be able to avoid was Elbrum, who cast a spell that whenever he, ro he cast Blink. Mm. So every time he rolled higher than 11 as he would basically be in another plane of existence as he was moving. And then when his turn started, he'd be back in this plane of existence. Yep. And at the very end of his turn, he would have to roll again to see if he disappeared again. And of course, he was rolling really well, so he, he kept disappearing. So every time he disappeared, that Tuscali couldn't fire on him. 
But I made a big mistake. I decided to roll the dice to see who it would target. And I think that was dumb of me, but I tried to be consistent. I probably should have just said, roll the dice once, and he's just going to target that person until that person is down, down, down. And what I was doing is that with his multiple attacks, I rolled the dice each time to see who he would target, which was, that's not intelligent. And an intelligent creature wouldn't do that. An intelligent creature, when there's numbers, you take out, you don't try to shoot each one. You shoot until that one's down. Bad tactics on my part. Uh, Not necessarily. Not at that distance. At that distance with that kind of advantage. Um, Just shoot at whichever one is you're able to hit. Wait for the plane to go by. You shoot at the yeah. You shoot at the most likely target or the target that's going to be the one that's going to do the most damage to you. There's no point shooting at something that's that's not going to do any damage to you. Well, and that's true. And I mean, the tactical logic is always from a combat point of view: get rid of the spellcasters, get rid of the spellcasters. And I mean, that's always the intelligent thing. I guess this is this is one of those things. But in too, this particular in this particular scenario then uh, that's invalid because at, th- at 300 feet, the spellcasters aren't in the game. They aren't in the game, but from the point of view of the NPC, you don't want them to be in the game because as soon as the spellcasters are in the game, well, what happens well, is exactly well, what happened. Again, at, at, at 300 feet, you just keep moving so that they don't get to be in the game. Yeah. So you take out the, the players that are in the game yeah. and then you pick off whatever's left over. Yeah. So this guy was peppering you guys. He ordered two of the Tuscalis to head up the hill to melee with you guys. Mm. And the third one was heading back towards the hole in the ground that was a hole in the ground. The other side of the lake. And I can't say any more about it than that. But so at one point you guys managed to, the, the Tuscali that were trying to get up into melee range and I, I, I regret now that I didn't give them short bows or something like this so that they could they could all fire at you guys from a distance. But no, they didn't have them. So they went up to try to close with you guys. And of course, you guys easily managed to take care of them before they ever got into range. Mm. And so with those guys down, and the thing was too, is the percussive wave did damage. It, did, it damaged a lot of you guys. That helped shorten their... Mm. I don't think any one of them managed to get a, even a strike at, at you guys before you killed those ones. So. The only one that was doing any damage was the one that was flying. Anyway, at that point, the other Tuscali were brought down. I was sitting there thinking, well, what would this one do? And so I had a thought. I had him fly down on top of the, one, of the stone, one of the three stone pillars that was on the northern side of the lake. And at that point, you guys all started to come into distance. And eventually... Calidus got into distance with his bloody Vrillstone. I rolled on that, and this is one of those places where I, I, I can't reveal much, but you rolled well. And the results of that rolling well was it was the triple the damage, the size, and it was a, a triple positive result. So the sphere of your sleep changed from being 20 feet to being 60 feet. Mm-hmm. And thank God none of you guys were within that 60 feet. And instead of being, what was it? You rolled, I think it was 5d8. Yeah, I think I rolled something like a 29 or something like that. In the high 20s. And it, you yes, so that, that's right. So tri- that tripling that was 70, 70 um, something. something. So all of a sudden, I, I was sitting there, I was like, 
freaking sleep. I was just, I was laughing my, my ass off. I was just like, this sleep is not going to do a damn thing. And I was like, oh yeah, Vrillstone, better roll for the Vrillstone. Freaking three times. I was like, well, so much for that. So all of a sudden now, you actually, you managed to put this guy to sleep. And mm. that completely changed everything on that particular combat. Because I was sitting there thinking that, oh, he's probably going to get you. And I didn't, I really didn't think that this should have been a TPK scenario, but it was looking like that until the chaotic Vrillstone worked out for you in spades with a bloody sleep spell. And then you went and you put the Vrillstone in your backpack and you went and put it beside the other pillar to come back into the combat. And as soon as you did that, the Tuscali woke up. But as the Tuscali was waking up, Ekmenos was there. But he woke up when he got pushed off the pillar. No. When he hit the ground. Uh, then I didn't do a very good job of describing. Oh, okay. He woke up when the Vrillstone got next to the, the pillar. Again, I, I'm thinking my, my, my explanation. This, I guess this is the hard thing, you know, when you're trying to explain how you picture things in your mind as happening and whether or not the players are seeing the same thing. Well, the reason we, th we saw him as being on the ground, being asleep till he hit the ground, was that he... No, the... he, he didn't sleep. He... he woke up on top of the pillar. And what I tried to paint the picture was that he woke up not because he got hit by the Thunderstrike from Akmenis, who was flying mm. up there to smack him with his paladin yeah. abilities. No, he woke up as soon as you put your backpack down and you yeah. walked away from the Vrillstone. But then... How did he get on the ground? Okay, at the same time that he woke up, in came the swipe from Akmenis. Oh, okay. And now the thing is with Akmenis' Thunderstrike, it does two things. It does the Thunderstrike damage, three things. It does the Thunderstrike damage, it pushes the, the creature yeah. 10 feet, and it knocks them prone. He gets smashed off the top of the mm. stone pillars, which is 60 feet up. So he gets the Thunderstrike damage, because yeah. he's knocked prone, he is not able to handle the fall, so he also gets... So he can't fly. Yeah, so he also gets 60 feet of falling damage, which is 66. Hmm. So even then, he was still alive. When he hit the ground. When he hit the ground. And so he stood up, and he was going to try to, of course, try to fight, but at that point, he can't use his bow anymore because he's, he's in melee combat with you guys. Yeah. So he tried to fly, but you guys all got your reactions to that, and you just peppered him. And that, that just, yeah, that was, that was it. The sleep spell. And I, I really, I thought for a second that I might be able to get away with it but because after you dropped the mm -hmm. Vrillstone, but uh, it didn't work out. You guys managed to take him out, which was good. And as the last strike was coming down in common, it says, Wait. And then the strike continues to fall, and basically that's it. You killed him. Yep. And he said it in common. Yep. And at that point, I was really having a good time because right about that time, I took Elrum because he's the only one who had a decent perception. Well, in fact, no, it wasn't that he had a decent perception. It was that Silhouette had a decent perception without Oraki being there. And of course, you've got a really good perception, passive perception as well, but... I figured with you being involved with the other things, you wouldn't have noticed, but still did. And so she's like, Elbrum, do you notice that uh, Calidus is glowing? Mm. And I had a fun time listening to you guys trying to figure that one out. 
and you still haven't figured it out, but it was certainly interesting as you guys worked out what it was. Yeah, it's a combination of the real stone and standing next to the lake and yep. all that kind of stuff. And you so tried some... to fill up a vial with blood and seeing if the, see if if the, the blood, blood was related to it. The blood. And you fig- eventually you figured out it wasn't the blood. No. That was good. Once again, we left a whole pile of things hanging, didn't we? We, we left the... Why would you say wait in common before you die? You mm-hmm. You'd say mercy or don't. Yep. We didn't check out the... We didn't check out all of the stuff that was there. You did approach the hole, and you guys weren't stealthy at all as you approached the hole. And so I rolled the Tuscali the that was in the hole. I rolled his perception check. So, yep, he heard you guys coming up, talking and doing everything that you're doing. And so he's like, oh, shit, he doesn't hear his boss anymore. He seals closed the hole. That happened. And then you guys are left dealing with, well, here's the pool of blood. Calidus is glowing. Now what? We turned the star. We turned the stone on the pedestal. Well, I like that you guys tried to figure stuff out, and then you went off to go and investigate the body, and nobody else was interested. I just—it was so interesting to see how these people were all focused on. Well, it was the—it was the timing of the event. If you look at the timing of the event, the, the pedestal's way up the other end. The Tuscali said, yep. "Wait, at the end where the pillars are." Yep, it's. 200 feet to the, the pedestal. We've killed everybody. We've secured our position. Yep. And instead of examining where we are at this point in time, we've hurtled up the other end, which I didn't fully understand. And no one seemed to be at all concerned about the fact that Tuscali spoke in common. Yes. And said, wait, that sort of yeah. went over everybody else's head. Yeah. What was on the... And I, you know, I've gone up there and I've had a look and they're turning this... Knob, you know, split the party. Yeah, that's a death trap. And my what thought, I find and on the, interesting and on is the way up, is... I've looked at the other, I've looked at the things that are. Yep. And you rolled exceptionally straight, bad. We straight <laughs> past a whole pile of stuff, not bothering to look at it at all. And this is one of those things where, as a GM, you have to sit there and wonder, like, how much do you give away when they roll bad, and do you continue to tell them stuff when they roll bad? And no. If you roll bad, it is like something else is going on with you at the moment so that your investigation or your medicine or whatever, it doesn't give you the details that you mm. might have cleared everything up. And, it, and, and so it, you guys rolled and, and really, actually, really bad. And to actually look at a thing that looks like Stonehenge, yep. clearly artificial, yep. and, and not see anything is just uh, yep. something there. I didn't see it. Yep. There are hammers lying on the ground. Yep. Did we find out whether they were from stone masonry? Were they building pillars? That's uh, right. What was the story going yep. on there? That's possibly what it was. None of these things came into play. So these are the things that go through my mind. Yeah, I, and then all of a sudden, I'm up where they're turning the, the dial. They're, they're turning the dial. <laughs> and they're turning the dial, and they turn the dial a, a, a third of a turn. One of the columns turns red. Yep. And I'm standing next to it, and, and it's like, is it blood? Is this the blood from the lake going yep. into the column? Yep. And to me, that was like, you look at that and you ask the question, is that what I see? Yep. You roll your perception, you get an answer, that's what you see. And everyone else said, yeah, that was pretty obvious. It was obvious but not confirmed. And yes. to me, a yeah. lot of this yeah. investigation stuff is yeah. about confirming it. Yeah. And then they do the next turn and the next turn, and each time they turn it a third, then each of the columns starts to fill up, starts to fill up with blood, and the lake dries. Here's the thing, too, is though, you guys tried to confirm whether or not it was blood, and 
I, I know yeah, that we didn't. Odvik went over there, and at one point, Odvik started to take his his armor off, and I was sitting there thinking, I think he's going to go swimming in there. And then you did really well with your medicine, and so I tried to give as much as I could give that was still an answer, but it wasn't a full answer. You would have needed to have rolled perfect in order to get the full answer on that one. And to this day, I have no idea what, whether it was blood or not. For all intents and purposes, it was as much blood as you could possibly think that it was blood, but not like the type that you would expect. Not like if you no. cut your skin and yeah. bled, or even cut any of your companion's skin and bled, there'd still be a difference. Yeah. And that much you were able to, to know, but other than that, you still don't know anything about it. Anything more about it. You're out investigating the pillars because, well, A, the Tuscali that you killed is up there and the one that said wait. So you, you went to investigate where it had been originally flying and you found nothing because your investigation was really bad. You went to investigate the body. Again, not a very good investigation. I would have thought, because I would have thought that that investigation, that was the critical one, Yeah, was to investigate the Tuscali that spoke in common and said yep. wait and find out, is it different? Is it carrying anything? Is it yep. doing anything? Is it possible that this isn't really a Tuscali, but yep. something else that's been turned into a Tuscali? Yep. That kind of stuff. Yep. But uh, they turned the dial, and all of a sudden there's a the consequence, and, and you're like, well, I guess I'm okay. not investigating anymore. Not this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so Calidus hustles back, and again, as once... the sky rains blood down yeah. upon the ground. You hustle back, and as you're hustling back, I made sure to lock the tokens because I needed to know your exact path because there was a consequence to that. And that, I think as you were going by, you, you were like, I got close to the pool here and whatnot. And that's when I was like, yes, you, you start glowing more brightly. And everybody's aware now that you're, you're glowing with indigo light. I like too that you guys did do, you gave the Vrillstone to Elbrum. Elbrum. And yes, the Vrillstone was glowing, but as soon as you handed it to him, you stopped glowing. Hmm. But whenever you, it was in your possession, whether it was in yes. your pocket in your backpack, or in your hand, you were glowing indigo. And you guys yes. haven't figured out why. Only that you would glow more brightly as you were walking past the, the pool of blood. Yes. And then, okay, so you guys haven't figured that out. You stopped thinking about it, and you kept turning the dial. And so, yes, three turns of the dial filled all three of the pillars up with a third of the pool, or visually it seemed, mm -hmm. and then they exploded. Well, they, the pillars didn't explode, but the blood exploded up and out of it, and all the droplets came back down, and it formed into a blood elemental. From Tuscali, who almost did you guys in, then you guys had to deal with the blood elemental, and uh, yeah. man, it was doing some, some... And there were vines in there as well. Yes, and there was vines that kept knocking you guys down, but still, you guys did manage to do pretty good. Yeah. I think at, this, at that point, the fighters, they were not doing well at all. They went in there to melee with it and they were getting smashed. If it wasn't for Elbrum being there and he was rolling exceptionally... Normally his Eldritch Blasts have been crappy. Yeah. But in this particular session, his Eldritch Blasts were... I think every one of them were on point and he managed to do all the damage to that and creature. I was five rounds away from getting close. You were hustling, but... Wasn't going to be. Wasn't... Well, I mean, you did get in a, a couple of, of your Cold Blasts. But I think one of them, one of them the is. first cold blast, Vrillstone didn't react. Mm. And the second cold blast is, it did react and it reacted neg negatively and you hurt yourself. Mm. 
you killed the blood elemental and as it died the blood formed some words on the ground the vines stopped attacking and they just finished withering again and basically became nothing more than husks when all that was said and done there was the trapdoor at the very center of where the pool was and at that point that was that was really just two battles and a lot of conversation over yes. what to do between those battles it wasn't an overly i guess cognitive session but there are certainly some questions in there that it'll be interesting to see what you happens. guys haven't figured anything out really certainly more looked. questions we haven't looked yeah so it'll be interesting to see if we go straight down the rabbit hole or yeah we decide to look at the other stuff. As far as your skill checks go, you guys did not bad in the battle when you could close and do some damage. But in terms of skill checks, man, you guys rolled really, really bad in that session. So there was so many things I wanted to talk about and I never got an opportunity to mm. just because, unfortunately. You know, I, I was reading something the other day where, no, no, I was actually, this wasn't the, I wasn't reading. I recently watched a YouTube video from Matt Colville and he was talking about travel and I was sitting there thinking about storytelling and how to do effective storytelling and what your skill checks should reveal and not reveal and one of the things they were talking about is when you're in a campaign setting and you've got to travel across a terrain do you put in encounters and so I I wanted to do a Westmarch style as you guys were traveling across to get to the town of Neber. But the fact of the matter is those giant scorpions were an absolutely frivolous encounter that had no meaning at all. And so the other way of doing it is either just you arrive and the, tri the trip was meaningless, or you can make the trip a narrative experience, like a cutscene from a video game, except within that cutscene you can have a skill checks. So we're in Australia and people that are listening don't know, but the distance from Canberra to, to Melbourne is about 600 miles, which if you were riding on horseback, you would get robbed and attacked by outlaws. And then cars were invented and the roads were built. Yep. And Was that common? Being robbed by outlaws. No, Cam Canberra wasn't around back then, was it? Canberra was around 1901. Oh, shit. Yeah. But, I mean, if you were riding from Sydney to Melbourne. Yeah. And no one would ride from Sydney to Melbourne. It would, in those days, it would be just too hard. You would take a boat. But if you were traveling, say, over that distance, yep. if you look at the, the, what you had to do to travel that distance, so the Hume Highway existed between, yep. say, Sydney and Canberra, yep. 600 miles. Semi-trailers would go up and down. So these are old-time semi-trailers, yep. and old-time trucks would travel yep. up and down this road. Yep. And people would, would drive down these roads. Yep. And the common thing that was said in the 50s and 60s was, are you prepared to travel from Sydney to Melbourne? Have you got spare parts for your car? What will you do if it breaks down? How yeah. many days will it take you to get there? Those were the sorts of things that were being asked. You weren't likely to get robbed, but your probability of getting there without your car breaking down was a 50-50 chance. Right. And a common occurrence was that cars broke down. I travelled it as a small child and car broke down. Yeah. That was just what happened. Yeah. So there is that, that the West Marchers style fits perfectly into this. You can either be robbed or attacked, yeah. or you can have another issue on the way there. Yeah. If it is not a road that is well-travelled and the vehicles are not 
of the transport method that you've got is not solid, is not yeah. something that's tried and yeah. proven, then you will have an issue. The question is, in that transit, like how do you do it? So Westmart style would be, you're going to have an encounter, let's roll out the encounter, you use spells and whatever else in the in encounter, or what Matt Colville was suggesting is, I would, as the GM, narratively talk about that voyage and basically paint a scene of what that voyage meant. And yes, indeed, there could have been bandits and whatnot, but instead of you guys actually having an encounter where it is, here's a battle map and stuff like this, instead what it becomes is a skill check thing. So the trip was, oh, I forget what it is, like uh, 80 miles on the sand ship. So it was a day and a half on the sand ship. And you're right. In, in fact, bandits is certainly something I was thinking thinking about, and I was thinking about there was a percentage chance that you guys would encounter bandits. But on a skill check side, what it would be is like, okay, you have to go this distance. Mm. Now, there's going to be, in order to get that distance, that distance is going to require you to make five skill checks. The quantity of skill checks that you pass successfully will factor into the difficulty of the encounters that you have when you do arrive because it's the encounters that you have when you arrive that are pertinent, not the travel itself. So what do you do with the skill check? Well, it's, okay, I've got to make this voyage. How does the skill checks that you need to make factor into the narrative that you create? The point is the transit is important. It's not important to plot development and people should not be dying no, because of that. But trip. if you if you if we go back to the scenario of travelling from Melbourne to Sydney, the in the West Marches scenario, you're travelling through the wilderness that is unoccupied. So yes. your probability of being attacked is high. Yep. After you are travelling on a road that's well well run, it comes down to what are your chances of actually getting there in one piece. Yep. So the skill check then becomes a case of does the ship break down? Does something go yes. wrong? And when I arrive, am I tired, exhausted, or late? Yeah. More often than not, you are late, and you are both tired and exhausted. Yep. These are things that you overcome. If you have a time constraint, yep. and you were traveling from Melbourne to Sydney to get to the wedding, speaking of which, there is a wedding on today. It's yeah. the royal <laughs> wedding. I knew I'd get it in there somewhere. So pay attention and think back. What were you doing on wedding day? So you've arrived at Melbourne, and you're a day late, which means you've missed the wedding yep. or you've arrived just in time to rock up to the wedding in your disheveled outfit, yep. not in particularly good humour. That, that Those are the issues. You'll recover from the tiredness but, in a day. But that's, that's the point. This is the main point. A time constraint. You can be exhausted and whatnot when you get yeah. there, which you can recover from, but you're not dead. And that's right. the distinction is if you do West March style on going across, because ultimately... The overarching theme of this campaign is the Tuscali and what the, I mean, that is the factor that brought everybody together. So what the hell is going on with the Tuscali? There's a lot of other things like there, there the Grimalkan was... Eye and the Idol, mm. uh, which is yeah. an ongoing thing that still hasn't been solved. It hasn't been solved, but you still don't know. You've gotten some hints that perhaps there is a relevance to that bit and some of what the Tuscali are doing. You haven't worked out any of that, what that means. But the point is, is the main plot is this. And travel across terrain, yes, it can be dangerous, but do you put character deaths into that on a thing that is really not tied to the plot? So 
and, and this is one of the things that you in know real, they all in, talk about in real life when you go back in time. Yes, but the thing is, is you guys, was, you guys are heroes. You are not like regular folk anymore. You guys have yeah. surpassed what regular folk is. So, but although death, yes, you death, can encounter bandits, but bandits should never be of a level to actually kill you guys. Whereas, no. let's say, for but if your sand ship hits a tree, you guys should be able, from a skill check point of view deal with your sandship getting broken to get you on a path. Let's say there's five skill checks between the city of yeah. Perbestet and the village of Never. Yes. And you fail all of them. Yes. So if you fail all of them, does that mean all of you guys die? No, 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 no. You no, all survive. What it does mean for me, though... You're late, you're exhausted, you're tired, those kinds of things. You're late, you're exhausted, you're tired, but it also means now that because of those complications along the way, the encounter that I had planned there is now it's the difficulty of it's now going to be harder. Yes, the whatever it was that they were doing, they've had an extra day or two to That's right. continue doing it. That's and, right. And and we have this cascading thing, so we are going to be late getting back to report yep. about what's going on at the Blood Lake. Yep. The Toscali, whatever they're doing, they've had two more days to do whatever it is that yep. they're doing. And so the time thing starts to kick in. Yep. And and that's I, I think that's perfectly reasonable. I think that if that's the way that it goes, yep. then the only other thing that I would I, I would think that you could throw in there is that if you did have an encounter with bandits, you could lose something. So there is the loss of equipment side of it mm. as well. So if we're saying that death really isn't an option and we're saying that, I think you're correct. If, if we are a team of half a dozen well-equipped people and we do this for a living, the probability that a bunch of bandits are going to cause us some grief is, is fairly low. The probability that we're going to lose some equipment on the way, though... That's not. That's not. That's not unreasonable. That's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. and this, so, this. So you can lose your rope. You can lose your backpack. You can lose your sleeping gear. And this is also where, again, the hiking to get to the to get to the pit, or, or to get to the pool. This would have been and should have been a skill check thing. So I, I've really actually got to actually start factoring that in a lot more. And if you arrive at Nibber and you and you've lost your greatsword, yeah, and the only place is the second hand store. And you end up going to the secondhand store yeah. or to a crimson nib store, then that's what you end up with. Yeah, and see, and that's just it. Like what I was concerned about, because I wanted to pick when I was writing a Discord about the the hardness of that two day trip with you guys not really having the gear to deal with it. And for example, because of that, I had everybody do a Constitution check at the very beginning, and it was low. You you needed to get low. Mm-hmm. I was being too nice. I probably should have set it at like a DC of ten, but I set it at a DC of five. And you had to roll worse than a five in order to get an exhaustion from the the difficulty of that. And I was thinking about not just the cold of the night and not having bed rolls and stuff like that, but also the heat of the day. You guys only had one water skin each. The only person who had more than one was Oraki, whose background is a desert runner. She is absolutely prepared to be able to be out in the desert more so than anybody else. Now, this is not just from her having two water skins She's actually able to deal with the heat. That's part of the makeup of what she does. Of her background that allows her not to be the heat to be a factor. So I had been thinking, and this is again too many times giving you guys plot armor, of saying, yes, the constitution check should have been ten or twelve in order to not have exhaustion. But I felt bad because I rushed the hike to get there because it was we had lost time, and that was the last session before we were having issues with Fantasy Grounds, and I had too much stuff loaded, and it was causing it to crash. And so, and if you, if you take all of this and roll this all together, the, the idea that 
Matt Colville delivers this as a commentary rather than this is delivered as some interactive process. Skill check. So there is an interaction to it. Well, yes, but you're saying there is... The skill check doesn't actually have to be done by the players. Oh, no, no. The skill check can be done by you. No, it has to be done by the players because what, what you want is you want the players to say things like, okay, so just like you said, the example you said, oh, the sand ship crashes into a tree... Yes. All right, there's six of you guys. How are you guys going to get back on the road? What are you going to do? Because it's not just about me saying, okay, Captain Bubbles has got everything at hand. She's only Captain Bubbles and two sailors, and they got to get this ship up but and running again. Done, if this is done as a narrative rather than done as yep. an interaction, yep. then this is something that can be... You, you look at it in terms of... Pla- pla- I look at it in terms of playing time yep. and say the amount of time that it would take to play this yep. would be say, an hour. Yep. Or you do this as a, a narrative and it takes 15 minutes. Yep. It's whether that, as you said, whether that hour is important or whether, whether that hour of playing time is important or whether the outcome is the important thing. To yep. me, the hour of, of playing time yep. is, is not that important. If the skill checks are run by you and you run the five skill checks and come up with the outcomes of ran into a tree lost my pet elephant, was late by a day, was exhausted, then you have a 15-minute narrative of what actually happened on the way, and we and you preceded with, based on the checks that I ran, this is what happened to you. Except the problem is, is that that means I have to be very, very on top of who you guys are and what your skills are. I don't want to be on top of who you guys are and what your skills are. That's on you guys. So if you have a skill, let's say... Yes, you run out of water. Well, Oraki's background as a desert runner, she's got a very high probability of being able to find water to help you guys. Mm-hmm. So that's on you guys to know your characters and the skills that you think you would have to say, you know what? I think I can do an arcana check here, and this is why this arcana okay. check. And I'd be like, yeah, okay, we'll do it. And okay. for me, it's just like, all right, he's got to yeah. pass a, a DC. Yeah, to me, I'm just looking at this from a... Whether it becomes a narrative or an interactive process. An interactive narrative is what I was thinking, because then it's more you guys have to think creatively in order to breach that journey. And, yeah. and your ability to think creatively and the roles that you get factor into the complexity that happens after. But that being said, when I was thinking about okay. that journey that you guys had, one of the things I wanted to accomplish in that journey was not about the encounter with the giant scorpions. It was about you guys having a conversation with Kame Waset. Yeah. So that, that was, to me, something that I thought was something that needed to happen because who the hell was this guy? Why is he on the ship? So you guys being able to, to have that conversation was something that I thought was important, and that would have been a journey element. But the yeah. encounter with the Scorpions really had no bearing on the story and ultimately was a waste of resources that could potentially lead to death that Mm. was frivolous. So I think I am a narrative, an interactive narrative that has consequence. I like that idea. Yeah, it's just a case of of coming up with a structure that makes it work. And I think that what you're saying is is, that's a good idea. I think the interactive narrative, there's a certain number of outcomes that can occur. Roll the dice, hit hit a tree... Got good prevailing winds, went faster, discovered the wheel, was able to drive up and down the hill. Well, this, this ties into what we were talking about for Westmarch's and economy. 
that where, where people want to build a building. And so I built a bar and after I've built a bar, yes, it's going to pr provide me with an ongoing source of revenue as I continue in the West marches. Mm. But there's complications that can arise with that bar, which like the corrupt barkeep who is stealing money from you. So yeah. do you create a session of you working with other players in order to deal with a corrupt barkeep? Or is that handled narratively through some skill checks? I think the problem that we're faced with here is that much as my desire is to own a big castle and live in Pervastet and have minions to come and go as I please, it's not going to happen because for some reason the DM won't give me back my Daryl. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I need at least one minion. I, I need admit at least... that there was certainly a couple of occasions over the last two months that since Daryl's been gone, whereas if you guys had gone left instead of right, you might have learned something more. Yeah. So to me, as time progresses, as days move on, what's going on with Daryl, yeah. days have passed. So what is yeah. happening with Daryl is, is either getting that much better or that much worse as time pa passes. And our, our, our ability to create an industry that will support what we do yep. is, doesn't even look close still doesn't look close. It doesn't yep. look as though it's ever going to happen. Yep. So, so the idea that we would have... Creating industry... Have, have, ...have these kind of things to support us as we went along yes. so that we wouldn't have to hire a sand ship to go on long journeys. Yes. We would be able to buy the biggest and the best or make our own, Yes, those kind of things. We'd yep. have our own sale and here they come yep. hurtling down the road. Yep. People would know not to go near us yep. because you see what we carry. And, and the question well, is, well, you're, you're like... starting to form a relationship with the pallet court, but what does that mean? And, you know, you've got Kalen there who is very, very much role-playing his character as a paladin. And to him, from where he's from, vampires are bad. And he is totally playing that up. And he's always like, I don't like this. I don't think what we're doing is good. And I, I love that he is, uh, he is trying to be a paladin. A paladin has an oath that you swear. If you do not follow the strictures of your oath, you lose your paladin abilities. And I'm watching Akmenus as well, because I am checking to see if Akmenus is following his oaths. And if he doesn't follow his oath, then your ability to have your paladin abilities will, will falter. It's interesting. They need to tell us this kind of stuff, though. They need to... They need to again, we'll recall a scenario where we were in the pyramid. This yes. is another case of that. We are in the pyramid, and Elbram's saying we must stay in the pyramid but without any substantive discussion or backup as to why it has to happen. And so yeah. we eventually force probably, it yeah, we, we do that, but not on the basis of any game playing, more on the basis of we need to do this if this game is to continue. And yeah. that's what it was. The game reaches a point at which, had we not stayed, it was becoming obvious that we were going to get to one of those impasse situations that would not have allowed the game to continue on. With the menace, with this paladin issue, if they don't convey that to us, then that situation where they start losing their powers is going to become an issue. Yep. I didn't realise that. I didn't know that that was an issue. And it wouldn't be, and I, I can imagine it's probably, it's not a common knowledge thing either. It is if you're no. a paladin, maybe. Yes, that's right. But it's not for the rest of us. So if they reach a point where, that's going to happen. If, if that is going to be an issue, they need to be aware that for the rest of us to have any empathy for their 
problem. Yep. We need to fully understand it. And we need to find a solution to that problem. And this, this is where, like, it, it is, I love that Calidus questions. And, and the fact is, is you guys were on the verge of leaving the pyramid. You were watching the Nicosi that, that had left, who were surrounded by the GFA. And it wasn't until that very moment, I specifically, as you guys were having that conversation, I did whisper to, to Elbrum, the pull is still strong. The pull that yeah. brought you here, you, you feel it tugging at your heartstrings. I did something like this. I can't remember exactly what I said to him, but I did make a point of, remember, you have a mission here. So then it was in his hands as to what he says to you. Yes. And at that point, he did reveal, he's, he's like, guys, there's something in this pyramid. I have to find it. Yeah, but that, that, that's... It's still ambiguous, but the thing is, is he that, doesn't that, know. That, that, is, that is insufficient <laughs> to even vaguely convince me to... Yeah, it, it's like saying, I need to go to Kmart. I have this pull to go to Kmart. Why? I just need to go to Kmart. Yeah, right. So we're all going to get in the car and go to Kmart? We're not going to get in the car and go to Kmart just because you want to go to Kmart. Do you want to go to Kmart to buy you know, a new shirt or a set of knives and forks? or a lawnmower, the pull to go to Kmart is insufficient. The pull to go into a pyramid, I have this desire to go into a pyramid, but I don't know why. That's just it. That is something that is on you guys as players to figure out how do you communicate with each other to make sure that, that you are giving the relevant information so that a person understands that. And that's not just on the person who is answering that question. That is also on the people who are asking the question are they asking it in such a fashion that the person who they're talking to actually understands where they're coming from and understands why they're asking that question? And I think the other thing, too, this, this comes down to a set of priorities. Yep. If you have a pull to stay in the pyramid yep. and, the, and we have a, another set of things that we have to do, yep. then that, that becomes a different, totally different set of priorities. And you look at it and say, well, yeah, you may have a pull to stay in the pyramid, yep. But our priorities are to solve the blood lake. Our priorities are to find the idol. Yep. Our priority is to find out if the scale is going to rule the world. That's what our priorities are. That's what yep. we're here to do at yep. this point in time. Yes. You have to turn around and say, well, yeah, I want to go there, but I'm not going to go there. Yep. I want Daryl. I want my knife. I'm not going to get either of those. What knife? Yeah, what knife? <laughs> exactly. I want my box back. Yeah, Daryl's pulled oh, it off. Yes, of course, your box. <laughs> I want my box back. I want my the box, box back. that's supposed to have this beautiful dagger that you keep dreaming is inside that box. Yeah, I want my box, and I want Daryl and all that kind of stuff. And I have to look at that and say, well, I can't have those. And I think that if Calidus gets faced with the, the same situation where in-game he has a desire to do something, yep. and all it is is a desire to do something then it'll be ignored. Calidus will say, yeah, I want to do that. And until the point that there is a, an issue, mm. which certainly will occur with the paladins, mm -hmm. as long as the relationship continues with the vampires and the paladins are going to lose their ability to be a paladin, mm -hmm. they'll know it's coming. It won't be something that is black and white, I would imagine. Yep. I imagine it would be something that they will start to feel they're losing something. And they'll yep. know exactly why. Yep. 
and they'll know where the line is, that when they cross that line, yep. they're no longer going to be a paladin. Yep. They're going to be just an ordinary bloke walking down the street. Yep. They will be very easily able to and, and say to us what that is, and, what the, and then we get to the situation of having to make the decision. Yep. Do we continue down the path with the paladins and the vampires, or do we turn around and say we need to change the relationship? And part of that is, is also on me, too, because like the thing is, is I just said that I, I, when it comes down to the skill checks, I don't want to know your guys' as players, but it is, there is one onus on me, and that is if there are strictures related to your character that you're playing, and you are breaking those strictures, it is on me to start saying things like, I'm going to go use my Divine Smite, and as you go to use it, you feel that the power is there, but you can't, you can't grasp it. It's, it just seems to be just slightly out of your ability to hold on to it, to add that power. Or it's there, but not as strong as it should be. It's something Those that, that of is issues. enough of an indicator to the player that something is happening. And they've, mm. they've got to realize what, what that but, is, uh, but, but it isn't for me I, to I would, blatantly well, say it. Yes, I would disagree with that. Really? My argument, yeah, my argument to that is that would they be smart enough to actually figure that out, or would they be like, "What are you, what are you screwing with me?" Because one of them was just like when we were there battling the Tuscali, was what did they say? Oh, it shouldn't be like that. And I was just like, "Yeah, it can be." And then eventually he was just like, "Oh, okay," because very clearly he was coming from it from a point of view of meta being, "I know what these things are capable of," and wait a minute. This should have been happening like this. And for me, then I was like, yes, it should have, but in this case, it doesn't. Yeah, because to me, this is, this is, it's not a meta thing. This is, if you are a paladin, you were brought up to be a paladin, this is part of your training. Yeah. It should be so inherent in you that yeah. you are but that, in, that, incredibly that implies aware. That... As a player, uh-huh. as a player, that is something that I doubt that they would know. They would know True enough. this is what... Yeah, but, and, so, but, but this and is, so you get to actually hardwired it. This, it really is it well, as simple as becoming, to me, it would be as simple as saying, well, this, you're a I paladin, guess, these are the ramifications, read this page of the yeah, book, yeah. because well, this is what's going to happen. And, and I guess it comes to, I guess, also the caliber of the player. And you're, you are right, because uh, to me, I get the very feeling, very distinct feeling, based on what Caitlin says, he's very, very clear of that. And that's where he's coming from. This The whole vampire thing is really against him, and he's hard pressed to do but he does see your guys's point because i think you guys did a really good job of arguing your point because he was very much like why aren't we helping out karima and you guys are like the few are the many the few are the many the few are the many and you guys chose well the many because this is a consequence and this is who the pallet court are etc 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 and so even though he doesn't like what he's doing so he's staying to his strictures he's a caliber of player he will eventually get to a situation when we get back Mm. where we've done the many over the few. Yeah. He's moving, he's starting to violate the, the laws he has to live by. Yep. And then there will be... A consequence. The consequences yep. to that. And because he's playing that part... He should, have be, he should be able to see it without me telling him. You would hope that he should be able to see it without you telling him. So, so for example, if his divine smite is not as good as it should be, yep. and he questions that yeah. and doesn't yeah. join the dots, then I think you have to tell him well, that this is, this is, you know, you, you pull him aside and say, there, there you, is... you, should, you, you haven't, you, you had three cracks at this and in, in three, three occasions yeah. it's getting weaker and weaker and weaker yeah. and you haven't made the connection. Yep. This is because you're violating your oath. Yep. 
and he'll go, oh, yeah. I, or, 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 while, or, while I was playing the part, I wasn't, wasn't cognizant of the ramifications. Yeah. Or, or me taking on the role of, for example, there was one point where Caelan was like, I'm going to go out, and is there a tree outside of this inn that. that I can go and pray at? Yeah. Is taking situations yeah. like that where, oh, okay, oh, yeah. Ekmenes, you are, maybe he doesn't specifically say, I go to pray to whatever his, no. uh, whatever gave, wherever his oaths are based on, it might be where I'm just like, you know, during a your voice, night's rest, voice comes there's a voice comes to you, or or whatever it is that's related. I have to actually check in to make sure. But yeah, paladins are a tricky one. Paladins are one where a DM really does need to make sure that are they violating their oaths? Because I remember in the the Sleeper Island West Marches, there was a paladin that would I think he was a a conquest paladin, and he would be running from fights. That was an absolute violation of his oaths. And I remember all the GMs are like. He shouldn't do that. He, I mean, as a, pal- a conquest paladin, he should be up there just swinging away, you know, the front of the battle and, and extremely reluctant to leave the battle. And that's right. That was a complete violation of your oaths. And a violation to that degree really ought to meant that your ability as a paladin, how? Mm, yeah. Yep. And, and he's, he is the only one at risk. Yep. So, but and this is the case too. I mean, the, the West Marshall style is very different from a campaign style. But in, in terms yeah. of campaign style, if Akmenos and Kalen did a, an it's... absolute violation of their oath, I have to be on top of it as a DM to say, "Yep, that is a violation." They do have the oath, and this oath is like oath of the ancients. I believe they have to be something about nature, and it could very well be that an animal comes and talks to them and says, "Like, dude." Yeah, that could be it. You know, you're screwed. A worm comes out of the ground as you're yeah. unconscious and whispers in your ear. A purple worm, a purple yeah, worm, is... which is like a one of the most <laughs> deadliest creatures in 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 the, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, comes up and okay. cons- tells you why you're doomed. Yeah, it's like the 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 worms on Dune kind of thing. People of the interwebs, are you thinking, Damn it, man, is this an abrupt end of the episode? Yep, you are right. Indeed, this episode is definitely not finished and has been sundered, split in twain. But there's a light. Return in just one week. Our discussion will be concluded. Until then, bye-bye.